1: The following is a hoop ball presentation,
2: Hoop Ballers. Welcome back to another episode of Today in Sports Betting. I'm your host, Devin Ellington, at D-A-L-E-007 on Twitter. And this is a hoop-ball.com presentation. Go to hoop-ball.com. I know, I know, I know. We're still working on the domain. There's people that don't want to give that hyphen up. But for now, hoop-ball.com. Go over there, check out the premium content wager pass, $9.99 a month. 33 cents a day 10 professional handicappers can't really ask for much more value than that I mean I guess you could but I don't know if you'll find it uh free content forums fantasy basketball communities at hootball gaming is the gambling division's specific twitter where you'll see the show links and all of our plays at Hoopball tweets, you know, that's just going to be the motherboard. If you need some just basic basketball information, injury t- uh, news and tickers, that kind of stuff, we've got you covered there. And then also, don't want to forget to talk about Manscaped.com, the show's sponsor. Go over there, use promo code HoopBall20, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L-2-0, and you will get 20% off as well as free shipping. I recommend using it on at least the lawnmower 3.0 which has a built-in LED light and anti-tugless technology. I've never had a razor that resembled RoboCop so much, and it's awesome. So go use that. Get some of those beard bombs and oils and hair scrubs for us men. Uh, the razor quality is phenomenal. Weed Whacker, get that if you have nose and ear hair issues like I do. Uh, I'm pushing 30, so it's it, it's bound to happen. It's happening a lot more frequently now, so... Hoopball20 is the promo code. Use that. Go over to manscaped.com. Let them know we sent you and get your lawn mode. So I like getting the intros and stuff in the premium hoopla out of the way a little quicker whenever I have an exciting show, whenever I have an awesome guest coming on the show. And that is the exact occurrence for today, March 2nd, 2021. Happy birthday, Pops. Uh... He's not my guest. I didn't bring my dad on for today, but uh, one person that is on the show today is someone that I look up to kind of like, that's a little weird. I'm not going to say that, (laughs) but I I look up to him, uh, man. So I'm just going to go ahead and get right into it. it. Another gracious guest of Odd Shark just coming on Hootball. And again, it's just like a little fangirl moment anytime I have one of these affiliates or uh, one of these affiliates of Oddshark on and, you know, the work, I've preached about it on the show, the data, the content. I know a lot of you in the Discord servers for our premium use Shark. You know, you guys are referencing them all the time. So I know you're familiar and this is going to be a treat. So without further ado, and Gee, I'm sorry if I pronounced the last name wrong. I'm I, I'm from Oklahoma, so I got that Midwestern draw. But uh, Mr. Gallant, great, I, great pronunciation. Okay, all right. You know, I get self-conscious because there's just some names where us Midwesterners add an extra syllable in and. It's, it's just messy sometimes. Uh, or You don't we need, to be, you don't don't need to be from the
3: Midwest to do that, man. I've been, I've been <laughs> dealing with that my entire life.
2: Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, yes, folks, without further ado, uh, Gal Galant from Odd Shark and the prop king, self-proclaimed. Uh, but, I mean, I, I, be, I think there's – I see the Twitter following and the Twitter interactions. There's a lot of people that proclaim you as the, uh, the prop king. So, turnover – uh you know d- the end of drives kind of result bets just the most crazy value driven uh, we'll get into the NBA underdog stuff but I'm getting way ahead of my marbles he's at gdog5000 all caps on twitter check his workout over at oddshark.com obviously but gee I'm gonna let you get, just take it from here uh yeah, I sure, I, spilled, I spilled <clears throat> most of the marbles but I no, no, De- no Devin you
3: uh you, you promoted me well so um so, yeah, I'm Jill Gallant. I'm with Odd Shark. I, uh, I write NBA and NFL mainly uh, for the site, but I go and I, I, I kind of master of all, maybe master of none, depending on how you view me. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I think you sold me fairly well. I think one thing you did omit from my bio is uh, I have a very punchable face um, for anybody who happens to be listening. Uh, you might not be able to see it, but you could just look at my profile picture on Twitter and you'll find out pretty quickly. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I, I don't know if I would call myself the king of props in general. I would definitely say that I'm in royalty, or at least in line for the throne for touchdown props, uh, specifically for NFL and maybe to a lesser extent for live turnover props, because that's what I've been doing for turnover props. And You sold it fairly well is that <clears throat> what I'm doing is basically playing in game and I'm playing teams to turn the ball over on us on a respective drive and I'll post it just before the drive starts sometimes it hits sometimes it doesn't again a lot of the time <clears throat> pardon me uh the spreads are plus 500 or pardon me the the odds are plus 400 or plus 500 so an applied probability around there of probably less 20 percent or less so a lot of the time I do hit them but at the same time I think what I've done now is I've maybe had a little too much early success where now uh, a lot of my following uh, maybe are wondering why I'm not hitting them anymore or why I'm having struggles sometimes, because the reality is that the probability of them hitting is probably less than 20%. But uh, when you have a little bit of a run like I did, maybe in my first couple of seasons of working with Oddshare, winning is expected.
2: Well, I mean, when you think of the – you know, organization of odd shark. I mean, winning, you know, it's kind of the content that you guys put out is phenomenal. So the fact that each of you has your own specific niche that you're really, really phenomenal at, uh, Sorry for the pressure, bud. But your following expects <laughs> no, you. <to> I, win. <laughs> I, I, no, I know. I appreciate that, Devin. Honestly, like, yeah. that's the thing.
3: Like I, anytime I have support from guys like you, or you know, or other followers, or whatever, like it's something that I never really thought of that was going to happen. Um, when I started at Odd Shark, it was more just here are the angles that I like to play. Here are the uh, you know the the narratives or the, the the angles or the stats that I consider that are important. Um, and like my colleagues, like Joe Osborne. We have different betting styles. We can both be successful. Um, Pam is another one who has a different betting style than I do. We do both focus on statistics specifically, but but at the same time, we just maybe we think about the game a little differently. Or uh, a former colleague of mine, Chris Abbott, or uh, or Scott Hastings, or even Ian McMillan. We all kind of have a little bit of a different mantra, and I think that's one thing that's really nice about Odd Shark in general is that we're not all just uh, trained to handicap a game the same way
2: right right it gives a different shark perspective for sure from each of you um lots of great name drops there again uh, a lot of odd shark history here on the show and um just continually uh you know gladly continuing it so um you know we talked about odd shark and everything and told the folks about the twitter handle is there Is there any other, are there, are you active anywhere else? Are you putting content out anywhere else? Outside
3: of Shark and Twitter, that's pretty much as far as I like to go because, uh, I mean, I'm not old, but I just, I don't like to do a ton of social media. So I'm not like on TikTok and to a lesser extent, I'm not really on Instagram that much or even Facebook for that matter. I'm not really that much on it anymore. Twitter, the only reason I'm on it is to promote my content from Oddshark and obviously post my picks when I decide to play them. Um, I don't necessarily put post every play that I do just because I don't want my feed to only be that. Plus I don't, I think that's the other thing too, is just the stigma that a lot of the time, a lot of followers, especially new people who might follow me, um, think that that's all I exist to do or that I'm, you know, where's your premium package? Where's the VIP package, that kind of thing. And it's like, no, I, I'm actually posting picks because I want you to read the content and the angles that I came up with at Odd Shark. And, you know, like this morning, I just uh, went on a, uh, a nice little run of writing. A, it was a nice article on uh, the Knicks and their first half against the spread run, how they covered the spread in 13 straight games and how they have yeah. the best uh, spread record in the NBA for first halves. So I was just kind of more diving into that, showing the angles, how we got there, the type of profits you could have made if you were banking on them, and kind of how to look at it going forward. <clears throat> but if I just posted, Nick's first half spread against the Spurs tonight and didn't preview the the article or whatever else, then most people would just think that I'm just betting on the Knicks tonight and that's it. And it's like, no, here's actually the reasons why. Here's some of the stuff that I went through. Here's kind of a recap and kind of get you up to speed if you weren't paying attention. Because I don't expect everybody to be paying attention to first half spreads, let alone about the Knicks, who haven't been relevant in years.
2: Yeah, it's, uh again, phenomenal uh, pointing that out because – Personally, and in, in vanity speaking, uh, for me, whenever I first started handicapping and doing this endeavor of recording and, you know, writing my own stuff, uh, NBA first half betting numbers and everything, the way that it was broken down by the team and uh, Mr. JTFOZ. Yes, uh, Joe Osborne. Joe Osborne. I call him Papa Joe whenever I interact <laughs> with him. Twitter with them so uh you know just the that's what I love and then the first quarter numbers too the the updated numbers that you guys continuously put up on that and um yeah, I mean, I could just pretty much fill this whole episode about high praises for Hot Shark and what. I'm I'm did. for it. I'm okay yeah.
3: with it. We can we can use this entire time if you just want to sit here and, and relish me with compliments. I'll I'll take it. Uh, it's a little flattering, but at the same time, uh, I don't get it in very uh, many other walks of life. So again, if you just want to sit there and do that, I'll just sit here and listen. If you just want to keep enough.
2: going, I'll paint you one, like one of my friend's girls or something. <laughs> <like that. laughs> No. So, uh, on a much serious note, much more serious note, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I did have some questions, you know, just to help maybe the listeners get a little more familiarization with yourself. Uh, cause obviously, you know, I, have followed you for a little while now and I am a little more familiar perhaps, but, you know, and then one of those things being that odd shark is a native of Canada and I believe I asked you this off camera, but for the listener's sake, you know, are you as well? And if I am, yeah. And I think, uh,
3: I mean, I don't know if people could tell from my accent or maybe from the look or even just the name, because the name, honestly, uh, Gilles Gallant uh, is probably the most like it's Acadian, first off. But it's probably like if you were to look up Acadian history, it's probably the most Acadian name you could find outside of, say, like. Jacques Cartier or like, or like Samuel de Champlain, like, you know what I mean? Like my name is like the next step lower. So uh, the name I think is a pretty dead giveaway that I'm Canadian, but uh, I am from Canada. Um, <clears> Odshark <throat> is based in Canada and uh, it's the current employees like uh, Joe Osborne or Ian McMillan uh, to let the cat out of the bag. Yes. We are all Canadian and we all work together and we all see each other. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So is that, when you say Acadia, uh, Acadian, Acadian, uh, yeah, is that gonna be more like French? Uh, okay, French. yeah, fr- French settlers. So like, gotcha. I don't know
3: if you're just to not to go too deep into uh, North American history here and uh, the history of Canada, uh, but essentially Acadians were the, some of the first settlers in Canada before they got expelled in the late 1700s. So um, I'm back, I guess, if that that makes any sense. But no, I'm just joking. But yeah, but basically, Acadian French is a different style of French than, say, like, you know, native Quebec French, for example.
2: Okay, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm a big history nerd, and I love geography and stuff. So learning a little bit more about, you know, not only the people that I have on the show, but maybe where they're from, um, especially if it's a different country. You know, that's, uh, that's pretty interesting to me, so... This show is pretty much just going to be all selfish, you know, delights of mine. So I'm going to have oh, a, like indulge, you know. Yeah. Um, all right. So we talked about how you approach your betting and your style and the extreme value and some of the, you know, high risk bets that you place. But when was it you finally was, – was it after you joined Odd Shark? But w- when was it you finally realized how good you were at this style of prop betting compared to the average bear of the handicapper you know, out well, there? Well, I,
3: I guess, Devin, it, it, maybe it still hasn't dawned on me that I think that I'm good. Um, because, again, just I think one of the things for me is um, I like to look at overall profits at the end of the year. But if you just looked at me from a win percentage standpoint – and uh, just like an edge from outside looking in, you probably would be wondering why I'm putting so much risk on touchdown scores that pay like plus 500 or more, or like, you know, a plus 1200 bet on a quarterback or whatever, because for me, it's about the overall results. So I think the one thing that I would be careful of is I would never say that I'm the best at something like, especially this type of market. What I would say is that for me, I think because of my history, and knowledge and experience of using and betting this market, I'm able to maybe audible or adjust or maybe see things that maybe other people don't do who may be kind of coming into the market for the first time. Like at the start of the last NFL season, there's a lot of new people maybe betting on touchdown scores, whether it be any time or first touchdown, and that aren't used to it and don't really know what to look for, whether that's a good odds placement for a respective player or whether that's a good. Uh, good odds or a good uh, matchup for that player, for example. So um, for me, I've kind of started to realize that now every NFL season is a little different. Some teams are better than the previous year, you know, personnel or matchups change, odds fluctuate as well. So uh, a lot of adjustments and a lot of audibling in that spot. Now, uh, I would say that from My past two seasons now I haven't really been I've been betting touchdown scores for years so just to let that kind of out of the bag but the reality is that I only really started posting them over the last two seasons because the first season that I was working with odd shark and kind of that was my first year at odd shark I wasn't really active on social media like I was but I wasn't trying to to promote myself maybe as much. And I think I was still kind of unsure if this was a good long-term career move for myself coming from a sales and marketing background and, and uh, you know, just kind of uh, being in a, an overall sales aspect. Even though I was sports betting for years and have a journalism background and everything else, I just wasn't sure if uh, being on social media or even just uh, uh, promoting myself of what the picks that I do, if it was even worth it, if, it, if people were even clicking over to to read my content now i know that they are um so that's kind of what happened is that coming into uh the 2019 or part yeah be the 2019 season um i was posting mainly just the touchdown scores for primetime games and i went on a hell of a run like i have no really other way to describe it like i went on like a run like uh, there was points that i was hitting Touchdown scores like a twenty-five to one touchdown score, uh, hitting these in-game ones like like Byron Pringle caught one touchdown all of twenty nineteen, and somehow I'm, that's the one game that I decided I'm going to bet on him, and I hit him at thirty to one, like kind of thing. So um, the first season for primetime games specifically, I finished up ninety-two units for primetime games, just single betting, no parlays, just betting. Um, then the second season, this past season, is where. I decided to branch out. So this is like the equivalent of when the restaurant wants to open up a second location. So I was doing primetime games, but then I was also betting on Sunday afternoon games. So the 1 p.m. Eastern and the 4 p.m. Eastern games. Now the issue with that is what was happening to me is that with primetime games, you have a little bit of more of an edge to kind of bet multiple bets. So because if two of them don't hit, but two of them do, you could still end up with maybe two to five units of profit depending on whatever the odds are when you're doing it on a sunday and you have 13 games to look at and you're trying to release maybe six to seven of your favorite plays it gets a little dicey because you're not you're spreading yourself too thin and trying to to dive into each one and as a result what's happening is is that maybe you're not you're overlooking some things that maybe uh make it a little easier to be able to cap a, a prime time game so this season I finished up like 25, like I think it was 26 units when I just looked at it a a couple weeks ago uh, for primetime games, but I ended up finishing like minus 26 units for Sunday afternoon games. So they ended up canceling each other out. And that's what kind of, you know, I don't want to say that uh, it lowered or ruined reputation or anything like that, but it just basically what it's made me realize is that Sunday afternoon games, I almost have to, I have to categorize those as separate type of bets because it's almost like they're, I don't want to say they're two different games, but there's just so many games going on and you want to find the right angle for every game that you end up kind of spreading yourself too thin from a research standpoint. There's only so much data and so many gut decisions that you can make based on the odds and based on everything else that you factor into those types of bets that uh, it's, it's holding me back. So I think probably what I'll end up doing for 2021 is I'll probably reduce the amount of bets that I do for the Sunday games like the Sunday 1 p.m. and 4 p.m. games and just focus strictly on prime time. And that's kind of what I would suggest to other people, too, for anybody who wants to get into this market, is that if you're looking at it, really try to focus on one game at a time and really try to find an edge there and try to maybe like spread your bets, maybe two to three. Like what I like to do is I like to take one bet per team then I like to take a mid tier kind of bet, maybe like plus 400 to plus 600. And then I like to take one more bet a long shot bet, like a, 12 to one, 15 to one, maybe even 25 to one. And I bet one unit on each. And then if you just hit the long shot, that covers your bet and then covers maybe even three or four games in advance kind of thing. Whereas uh, if you hit maybe two or three of the the mid tier or lower tier ones, then at least that way you're just covering and you might even make some profit just from that game and then going forward. So that's that a little bit in a nutshell, we can expand on that a little bit more um, as far as process goes and whatever else. But that's kind of what it is about touchdown scores and probably why people would consider me um, or give me high praise about them. because not only am I, am I betting them and am I promoting them, but I'm also offering people information about them that they can't easily find themselves. Like whether it be, you know, overall targets and red zone targets and, and factoring in things that maybe people aren't necessarily looking at when they're just looking at uh, a list of odds and they're like, Oh, okay, well, Gronk's plus 200. I like Gronk. I know Gronk. I'm just going to bet him. And, And that can work sometimes, but more often than not, it doesn't.
2: Yeah, I think what really sealed the deal uh, for me, just being all out impressed with you, was there was a game. I, I want to say it was Monday night game last year when it was the Bears. <laughs> I think uh, you probably know which one I'm talking I know about. Exactly, I was reluctant
3: to even bring it up because I didn't know if we wanted to talk about that game yet. Um, but, but that you know, is the game that essentially, uh, I don't want to call it, I don't know how it sounds lame to even say it out loud. It made me Twitter famous for like a day. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. I guess um, I can go into that story if you want, but essentially what it is it was week three of the 2019 season. It was the bears on the road playing the Washington football team. That's what it was. Yeah. And it was case keen at that quarterback. And essentially this was one of the first times that I had ever bet live turnover props. So this is what this is all about. That game, what I did was I looked at kind of Washington's personnel and I realized I was looking at Case Keenum and I was looking at his yards per attempt. And I was also looking at, you could find these anywhere, but online, but I was looking at his throw spray chart in a sense, like looking to see kind of where most of us were they going to the sidelines, were they going over the middle, and how, how many yards were they going. And I was looking at Keenum's stuff through the first two games of the season. And I was like, man, he throws it over the middle way too much for how talented he is which is not much like i mean yes he did te- technically take the vikings to 13 and 3 the year before but there's a reason why he got exposed and that NFC championship game versus the eagles but nevertheless basically what i did is for i bet washington turnover on four of five four of their first five drives hit every one at plus 450 first like it was first drive of the game Bears have it, or pardon me, uh, the the Washington has it. I wanted to say Redskins there, but I won't. I'm going to neglect to say that. But what, Keenum basically throws it over the middle. Ha, Clinton-Dix takes it back for a pick six immediately. Like I, and so that kind of blew up where people were like, holy crap, like that – that guy just predicted that and I posted it like five minutes before it happened. And people were just like, Oh my God. Like, and I decided the next drive, I'm going to run it back. I'm like, why not? It's like, you know, whatever the bears are, you know, and the bears are a fairly strong defense, especially even like, I know that they were coming off the 2018 season where they were really strong from a defensive standpoint, 2019, they had regressed a little bit, but they still had a lot of talent to be able to force these kinds of turnovers against a team like that. And they got a strip sack on the next one. The, when I say I bet four or five, they had five turnovers that game. I didn't bet the third one because I ended up going to the washroom because I was so amped. I had to use, I had to pee. And I come back and they turn the ball over again. And I'm like, are you effing kidding me? I cannot believe I missed out on that. So that's what ended up happening is I bet four of the five turnovers and I hit them each time while posting them on Twitter beforehand. And that's how I've kind of gotten a little bit of a, a following as a result. So I ended up finishing that game up 32 units for that game. Oh my gosh. I'm very happy. Like it was one of those. Like I I'll tell my grandchildren about that type of story. Um, But it was one of the types of angles that I just happened to recognize at the moment. Um, It's one of the, uh, I can't really explain other than a gut feel. Like obviously I had all the stats to support it, but even then it's still a little ballsy to take a turnover prop when it's so easy for a quarterback just to throw a ball in the dirt and then punt it away, especially if you're a struggling offense in the NFL. And Yeah, so this that season I was having lots of luck with it because I was identifying matchups where you're seeing this very stout defense like Patriots defense in the first eight weeks of 2019 was amazing for this type of bet. And they were playing against chumpy teams like the Jets and the Giants with quarterbacks who love to turn the ball over. So again, if if the book is going to offer me plus 400 on a drive to turn the ball over and you've got Sam Darnold or or Daniel Jones throwing the ball against this type of defense, I'm going to bet it Probably each time for the first four drives, because at those odds, if you hit it once you're up profit immediately. So uh, that's kind of how I looked at it as a long-term game. Uh, I'm saying from a turnover prop standpoint, for anybody who is planning to do this type of prop or even looking into it for next season, uh, use those types of stats to look at kind of where you can find defensive and offensive mismatches for that and be prepared to lose. That's the other thing, too, is that with any of these bets, uh, there are times where I will bet the first four drives and I lose four units right there just from that game because it just didn't work out. And, uh, <clears throat> but at the same time, there are other games where I've hit two of four and I'll make eight units of profit immediately, just or six units of profit, rather, uh, if they're all at plus 400 odds. And I just i am like, okay, done. You know, first app is over. I can go to bed now. Like I'm already up 60 units. I don't even care how the rest of this game goes. And that's the one thing that I would say is that you have to, I almost have to have separate bank rolls. I have bank rolls for touchdown scores. I have bank rolls for turnover props and I keep them separate because if you try to include them and you try to look at overall profits together, you'll just make your head spin with trying to make it. So that way you can just end up with profit at the end of the day.
2: That's a really good deep dive and curtain pull from you on that. Um, and I, I really just wanted to talk about that specific game because I'm not sure if you know some of the newer listeners or just some of our listeners in general. You can go um, look it up week yeah. three, go look
3: it up. Like, I mean, I have I'll probably tweet it out maybe next this upcoming year, just be the like anniversary,
2: a, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I don't
3: really do that, that very often on Twitter, but you can go look it up week three Bears versus Washington, uh, yeah. in 2019. It was yeah. just a turnover fest for Washington, and it was hilarious.
2: I was just sitting there looking at Twitter and looking up at the screen. I'm, I'm just like, no way. no way. And it was like the third one in a row. I was like, are oh, you I st- had people texting me while
3: it was happening. They're like, dude, just pull the shoot and get out. Like you're yeah. up this much. Like, what's the point? And I'm like, you watch, you watch. And they're like, are you effing kidding me? Like I Like my phone was blowing up pretty much the entire night.
2: Yeah. It was a cool, cool thing to see. I never really... One, uh, known of a handicapper that was taking those kinds of angles. But, you know, two, also just the the (laughs) Nostradamus-like approach. And you spoke about gut feeling a couple of times. And people may think as handicappers, you know, we just rely on, you know, personnel and numbers and meat and potatoes and that's it. But to be honest, when I'm looking through a card and I'm doing my first digs and, like, I'm trying to figure out what I want to put on it, I use a lot of my, you know, just basic sports IQ and familiarization and gut feelings about when I'm building a card. So on top of that gut feeling, and then a bit more of the process that you already explained, what would you say that you tend to, you know, break down more of or really just rely on more, you know, would it be the quantitative measures of probability and outcome? Or is it that gut? that you spoke of a couple of times?
3: I think it depends on the sport. Mm. So if we're doing touchdown scores, a lot of the time it's going to be stats, then odds, then personnel in that order. But a lot of the time, the gut will be the overriding factor of like, this. it's the CEO of my betting strategy in a sense. Like It's like, okay, we have all these factors, presented it to me. The gut now has to make the decision based on what we've seen. So with touchdown scores, like I, I have to know snap counts. I have to know targets. I have to know red zone opportunities. I have to know, like you have to know these things before you make a bet like that, because if you're just looking at the odds and you think to yourself, okay, Alvin Kamara at minus 150, that's a lock. It's not like, you know, he probably hit when I looked at his 16 game schedule this past season, he scored touchdowns in, oof, I want to say 10 of the 16 games. And he was minus odds for every game. And if you had just blindly bet Al Kamara every game to score a touchdown, um, in some games he was minus 200, um, you would be down profit. Like you would, like if you're just betting the same amount. So that's the one thing that I would try to say is like, don't always just think to yourself that I have to take the favorites uh, for touchdown scores, because um, while they are heavily featured, the opposition knows that too. <laughs> and they're going to try to neutralize them. And they're going to put their best corner on the best wide receiver. They're going to stack the box when they're on the goal line and Derrick Henry is about to rush downhill on you. Now, would it th- So that's kind of what I would say for touchdown scores. Now, for NBA, I'm probably more of a matchup guy than I am, probably stats, just because of my history. Like, I've watched the NBA now since 1992, is probably like, I mean, really generally, like when I've been actually watching it, like, every game was probably not until about the mid to late nineties. But even then I wasn't like looking at it from a betting sphere, like looking at it from a betting angle. It wasn't until about the mid two thousands when the Phoenix suns and Steve Nash were really good, like kind of like 2004, 2005 when I really started kind of taking off and really starting to bet them regularly. But for me, matchups is key because I'll be looking at, you know, just like a, I'll use what's a good team from a matchup perspective that like, there are certain teams that can excel without their stars let's just say that right now so that can whether it be from an odds maker standpoint or just winning the game and you have to be able to identify those and so a lot of the time what i like to do is just look to see how those teams perform without those players in mind um trying to kind of maybe just project like maybe an overall outcome who's going to guard this guy who's going to guard that guy when we get down because every game that if you're ever taking a spread which I stuck kind of loathe right now in the NBA. But but at the same time, if you're taking a minus spread or a plus spread, you're always looking at fourth quarter scoring. I think that's one of the main things that people have to look at as well is how are these teams performing in the final few minutes of these games and the clutch moments. And uh, certain teams can excel without their star player in that spot. Other teams don't. Um, And then of course, then you have to look at the spreads and odds and whether or not that reflects based on what you've seen from a matchup perspective and stats perspective. And then you have to decide whether or not you want to play it. Um, That's kind of why I have kind of transitioned all the way over to taking like completely overcorrected it actually, where I'm just now betting exclusively NBA underdogs on the money line.
2: I'm really happy you brought that up and we made that transition because I know it was something I was going to want to dig into more, especially with us being in the thick of the NBA season and All-Star break coming up. Um, it's hard to find anything better than mid-90s and early 2000s basketball, though, while we're you know on that <laughs> tangent. Uh, there's just some of those teams that... Man, they were just so good. You know, the early 2000s Kings teams, the early 2000s Pacers yeah. teams, the Suns you referenced to. People forget that, like, there were some really great teams uh, mm-hmm. earlier. Well, they we think about the Lakers
3: three-peat around Probably. that time or even the Spurs winning the Spurs in 99, then 2004, or then maybe the Pistons, obviously, to a lesser extent. If We're just talking about early 2000s, late 90s kind sure. of thing. But I think that's the one thing is that I'm more – I'm. Probably one of the more nostalgia nuts when it comes to that kind of stuff. And that's just because of age, like I'm 36. So I've seen a lot in my day, which obviously only helps from a handicapping perspective. Um, I personally believe, and again, I'm a big proponent of this, that in order to predict the future, you need to know your history. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that a lot of young handicappers who are coming up who are maybe. 25 or younger or whatever, aren't historians of the game. I'm sure they are um, and have also played and probably look at a lot of the same things. But I think one of the things that you see is, and it's no different than even just in the NBA in general, is that older teams, not too old, obviously, but older, more experienced teams have more success in the NBA or in, in the NFL. So why wouldn't that be the case for uh pro sport handicapping?
2: Yeah. Experience is key. Um, you know, all right, just little, tangent here about myself uh you know i'm 29 i'm pushing 30 so a little bit younger but i love 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 things that are older than me you know like my music my shows my movies my basketball pretty much all of it and uh just the other day this is how i spent my wild saturday night i pulled up a random 1995 western conference playoff game and the first video that popped up on youtube was the hey, western- on.
3: 1995 western conference final
2: that's the one that popped up. Yeah.
3: That would be Houston versus, I want to say Phoenix, but I don't think it was There's uh, another
2: great big man. Involved. Well, then I was going to say it's,
3: it's the it Utah Spurs. Yeah. Oh, Spurs. Okay. So David Robinson, like, I was going
2: to say like it was either the Sonics Spurs
3: or the Suns. Cause those were the four teams around that time.
2: Yeah. But great matchup, you know, Sam Cassell, Robert Ory. uh, Kenny, Kenny Finn, yeah. Maxwell. Bird, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see, the Spurs. I mean, you don't know. forget about Clyde. That would have been Clyde. Yeah. You got traded yep. at the deadline there. Uh, then there was, uh, you know, on the Spurs side, uh, you know, side, obviously, you know, like Vinny Del Negro and, uh, Byron, uh, wow. Well, I just blank. <laughs> Byron Scott yeah. Um, Sam, or not
3: Sam Elliott. <laughs> I wasn't going was to. Sean Elliott. Say Sean Elliott.
2: And who um, was a stud, yeah. by the way. Mm-hmm. He was yeah. a stud coming out of Arizona.
3: He was awesome. And he's I mean, he's probably he's still technically one of the all time great Spurs there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, what I love when I watch these older things and these older replays and full game highlights I forget a lot about the coaches back. Like I forgot that Bob Hill was coaching the Spurs in that you know time mm-hmm. frame, and then I was like, "Well, f it, I'm gonna dig into Bob Hill. Who's Bob Hill? You know, he had a pretty decent coaching career. Kind of looked like the mayor of Whoville. but you know he he he's a he was a good co- like he was like the Popovich before the Popovich. So. Or even Rudy T. Man, Rudy Tom Rudy, Donald. Yes, awesome. yeah. John Travolta himself, <laughs> he looks so identical. I thought it was John Travolta when I first saw Rudy Tom on the sideline in that clip, uh, who was a great player for the Rockets. Also, uh, Mr. Tom Jonovich was, um, watched the 1979 Indiana state DePaul final four matchup to go play magic Johnson, uh, yeah. in Michigan state. A lot of great players on those teams. Uh, you know a lot of uh high, you know the high school class of 79 that was coming in that they were talking about the all-americans you know you had guys like Ralph Sampson 7 foot 3 kid coming out of high school and uh, a couple names other that escaped me but just that pocket of basketball uh is what's so great and awesome about the historical side of this the game and um i'm just a huge fan of it you know it's the videotape recording the The bad quality, the funny music, the just all of it. Well, the production side is one thing, but the actual basketball is actually, like, for some
3: people who were born in, like, let's
2: say 2000.
0: You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator
3: three-point, like seeing the NBA game and seeing teams average five three-point attempts per game for the entire yes. team, yeah. you know, whereas now the Knicks, uh, who is it? No, but not the Knicks, the Jazz, lead the NBA in three-point attempts this season with 42 and a half, 42 and a half three-point attempts per game. Like,
2: that it's mind-boggling. I did not know that. That's crazy. I did not know that they attempted that many threes per game. And then you look at where they were when Jerry Sloan was the coach, you know, with guys, I mean, sure, they had their shooters and Karolinko and Mamet Okur would step out. But, he, you know, Mr. Havlicek in the 90s was their sharpshooter um, or Hornacek. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, Hornacek. Hornacek. Yeah, sure. Well, and Stockton to a
3: lesser extent. I mean, if you're just using the 90s as an example, um, you know, they, they had that same core pretty much for pretty much most of the mid to late nineties and years, yeah. you know, well, they made the finals two years in a row, obviously to play the bulls. And then in 99, they, uh, they retired for the second, or they retired for the best record in the NBA with the Spurs in that lockout season. And then, uh, and I'm pretty sure Malone won MVP that year. And then the next year, like they made the playoffs every year that Malone and Stockton were like, were on the team. So. Yeah.
2: yeah. Just a great model of consistency. And, of course, there's the nostalgic throwback of having the Supersonics as an NBA franchise, which Adam Silver, if you're listening, which I've heard, he is a frequent listener of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we need another Seattle team. Um, it would be really great to have. Um, man, was not expecting golf on that little historical tangent. No, it's but it's all I right, man. I, I, I like don't want to shoot
3: the shit about basketball and old-school basketball, man. You know, I love it.
2: It's one of the most fun things to do because, you know, you start reminiscing and forgetting about certain guys, you know, like the other day I thought about Bonzi Wells for some reason. I don't Mm -hmm. know why, but I was just thinking about Jamal Mashburn and Jamal McGlure. And I was like, wait, Mm -hmm. who else was on those, uh, New Orleans Hornets teams and Uh,
3: the only one that you're talking about, like where McGlure and Mashburn. So that would have been, that would have been uh first, maybe first or second season because, uh, Chris Paul played there for about six years before he got traded to uh, the Clippers. Uh, so that would have been the first like two seasons. That was like 2004, 2005.
2: Yeah. It was like Chris Anderson and David West. Yeah.
3: yeah. David Wesley, David uh, Wesley. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of good players that from that team that went on to make impacts for other NBA franchises. And then um, I think even one year they had Tyson Chandler there yes. for, for oh, a yeah. as well. So um yeah, like there's a lot of like fun, like, you know, did you remember this player? Do you remember that player kind of thing uh, from the 2000s that uh, sometimes uh, it helps to have a league pass subscription. because Sometimes I'll just kind of go in and just watch some of these old games or whatever else. I mean, you can find most of them on YouTube at the stretch anyway. But um, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why The Last Dance was so successful, because, um it gave us nostalgia for remembering the nineties cause I was there for, or not there, but like I, I saw every single one of these moments. So a lot of the stuff that they were saying in the last dance was not new to me. Um, but at the same time, um, it gave a an appreciation for people who were maybe born, uh, 2000 or later, or maybe who have never got to see Michael Jordan play, um, in a bulls uniform, uh, to be able to appreciate his greatness and appreciate old school basketball.
2: Right. I got chills thinking about it. That documentary was so good. Um, unpopular opinion here, and I, I don't care, but I actually like the Best of Enemies. Four po- I think it's a three or four-part series better than The Last Dance The about the rivalry and the franchises of the Boston Celtics and the Los Angeles Lakers.
3: So, yeah, that's that three-part one for mm-hmm. the 30-for-30 30 30 that they did. Yeah, what with,
2: uh, I love is it it starts from the 1950s, you know, <laughs> from the bowels of history of the Celtics and the Lakers, you know. And it just talks about how Red Auerbach traded, uh, oh, what is it, like the ice rink girls to get rights to draft Bill Russell, you know. Well, that's what they did
3: back in the day. Like, like
2: you know, <laughs> and just the – the history also, you know, the, the way America was at that time, like I said, I love history. So that tied in a couple of different dynamics that I'm a huge fan of Um, just the whole start of showtime and which, you know, early two thousands kids probably like, they probably know who magic Johnson is. I'm not trying to short sell the generation uh, after me or whatever, but I don't think they truly understand, you know, Pat Riley. You know how he went from color commentator to Lakers coach in a four-month swing. Um, well, and not only that, but Pat
3: Riley—they might even know from the Lakers, or maybe even to a lesser extent with the the Heat. The Heat. Um, but I don't think anybody, or a lot of people, remember his stint. You know, for four or five seasons as the Knicks head coach and giving giving the Bulls like a legit challenge, like in uh, in '97 uh, and '98. So. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I think uh that documentary, while I appreciate it, I think just the reality was why I would probably have it a little bit less, uh, even though they got all the key players and everybody to talk about it. Um I almost feel like that rivalry is just beaten over the head now, like to the point like where you know you have, you know, there was a documentary on magic and bird, there's a book about it, there's um, it's pretty much talked about as the thing that saved the NBA, like their, their, uh, their national championship game, and then also entering the NBA right after it. Um, so I'm not saying I'm not trying to diminish, um, it, I think just by the time I saw those documentaries, um, I had already done what feels like hours of just situational research, whether it be I'm just on my own or just, you know, osmosis of, of listening to other people talk about it. Whereas with the Bulls, um, that one felt like I was like, okay. Cause again, it's not to say that the 80 that wasn't important. I wasn't there. Like I didn't get to watch those games live. Some of them were even tape delayed. So you wouldn't have been able to watch them yes, live anyway, yeah. but the bulls games, like you could like back in the nineties, when you had even less channels now than you have access to now or streaming services or whatever, like when the bulls were on TV, like it could be just a regular bulls, Cavaliers game in mid-April uh, you know when the Bulls already had the one seed locked up and and you're watching and you're still seeing MJ in like 92 and 93 or you know in later parts of the 90s still just dominate and do stuff on the court that you've never seen before and against stud players and stud defensive players and um, you know um, so a lot of the time it was great to kind of see that kind of stuff and just to witness greatness.
2: And you, you speak of greatness, and that's the thing about those generation, that that generation of players, you know, fading out from the late 80s into the 90s. I mean, you just look at every NBA franchise within that timeline. Almost every single one of them had a Hall of Famer or two, you know, mm-hmm. they, that just golden age, it, to me, it's the golden age of modern basketball, you know, it's that just the The players, the coaches, some of the G, I mean, the GMs back then, it it just, and anywhere in America, like you said, you know, if there was a TV screen, it wouldn't have mattered if you were in Rhode Island, if you were in Oklahoma, if you were out in Montana, the Bulls were probably going to be on TV, and that was just, you know, that just speaks to the this ain't a word, but I'm going to use it. (laughs) Phenomity. Phenomity. Or just a phenomenon. of. There you go. I could actually just use the real word. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. It was just, and for me being someone who is just on that cusp of missing out of being like, you know, a teenager who loved basketball, uh, and just missing, you know, that greatness of Michael Jordan and the Bulls and the rest of the other Hall of Fame, you know, Bar- the Barclays and the John Starks and the Ewings and all of Juwan's And yeah. I mean, all of them, uh, you know, I, I kind of wish I had like a few more years under my belt just so I could have retained a lot more uh, vivid imagery and a lot more just vivid uh, memories of – what was going on in the nineties with the NBA and the greatness of all that.
3: And I think we all feel that if you're an NBA fan, like I feel like I wish I was maybe a little bit older so I could have witnessed uh, portions of the Celtics and Lakers dynasties, right? Like just in being able to see them in person, because again, you see all the footage and I can watch a game here, game there. Um, But just being able to kind of see the way that it developed in real time and how it impacted history. um, Those would be the reasons why I wish, I, and again, it's probably the only reason I'll ever wish that I was older.
2: Yeah, for sports and concert events in general. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah seeing like, Led Zeppelin in concert or right. something. I, I was going
2: to say, I know I'll never get to see the Beastie Boys now. You know, so like yeah. I would definitely go back to the 90s to catch a Beastie Boys show. Uh, rest in P. Uh, uh, MCA. Mm. One of the best MCs ever. Um, yeah. Got some culture and stuff involved in there. I mean, I just, I would love to go back and be in the garden, the hot stinky garden in the seventies. Like that just sounds like fun to me. Like if I could. Well, I'm just thinking you know, like, uh, cause
3: I mean, I don't smoke anymore, but I just think of, it used to be this way, even back in like, so I'm from Canada, obviously. And uh, uh, back in the early two thousands, you could still uh, smoke in like the concourse of Expo stadium in Montreal, for example, like, so back when they were terrible before they moved like in the 90s in the late 90s like you could still kind of go watch like vladimir guerrero like you kind know, of like you know what i mean like watch these kind of games but like you would literally just leave your seat and go buy like so like two steps away from you they're buying food and buying beer and you're just sitting there hopping a dart kind of thing um whereas now like you can't smoke at all in these stadiums i mean I mean, I'm not saying that that's a nostalgia thing, but, but I'm just saying like, that's kind of like, you're thinking of the hot, stinky type of environments like that. Um, That's kind of what it reminds me of. And yeah, uh, easily I could still smell the stale smoke.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So you're telling me you don't want to go back to being able to smoke in schools and hospitals? (laughs) Yes. uh, Let's confirm that. Uh, Jill is against smoking
3: in hospitals and schools.
2: Hey, it was cool while it lasted uh but yeah the um man the Expos yeah one of the I mean probably the one of the first baseball teams I remember just because they were so unique looking with that bubble m and the Mm -hmm. the colors and the fact that they were the Canadian team of the 90s
3: yeah and most of my family's from there so um I don't want to say that I wasn't a Blue Jays fan growing up because I was but at the same time I always had a special place for the Expos because they were just kind of the the scrappy kids that yeah. just could never get over the hump they were basically just a glorified farm team for other teams to poach their talent kind of thing to like basically a worse version of the Miami Marlins if that's possible I mean obviously Miami just made the playoffs this year so they're starting to rebound but basically that version where just they would develop these nice homegrown pieces of talent and they wouldn't be able to afford them because they had a cheap owner and then would just sell them and then the, the attendance and everything else just declined to the point where uh the team had no ch- choice but to move uh to uh miami so uh not miami rather but just move to washington and uh so that's kind of the way it goes you know but uh you know at the same time from a nostalgia standpoint uh i try not to live too much in the past uh just because uh i got a nice bright future in front of me and uh sometimes if you focus too much on the past you don't uh you don't focus on the present and enjoy what you got
2: you gotta relish it. That's for sure, <clears throat> and that's you know well said by you. I you know I've I've heard this saying, uh, it's uh, looking towards the future but wishing for the past. You know, <laughs> but for me, it's yeah. like I kind of want to wish for the future, and like look forward to the past. Sure, if that's possible, because it was so awesome. Speaking sports, mainly like you know mm. the, re- the retro kind of stuff, the vintage aspects. But, yeah, it's, um, it's weird seeing kind of the metamorphosis that every sports kind of had the undertaking of uh, within each professional league. The NHL also just revolutionizing, becoming more fast, more safe, more, you know, just fluid. Uh, I remember early 2000s hockey it was just clunky, and they were beating the piss out of each other.
3: You're talking about pre-lockout hockey.
2: Basically, yeah.
3: like, so pre 2004, mm-hmm. so anything before 2004, um, basically big hulking defensemen who have no skating ability really, but are just bullies on the ice, and that's all they really do. Like they were standards for all strong NHL teams. So, a guy like Chris Prong or Darian Hatcher, or these, you know, just big guys like Zdeno Char is, is not the best example because he could actually have a little bit of offensive game while also tailoring his game to be aggressive in his own end and protecting it. But I think that's what you saw is that they put more of a focus on skill um, just like the NBA, uh, because again, the fans dictate kind of not necessarily how the game is going to go, but you know, they, they're receptive to that. And then also it's about success. Um, You saw in the NHL and then also uh, they had to kind of change the rules a little bit about clutching and grabbing and stuff like that. Um, They kind of are a little less loose. They're a little loose about it in the playoffs, but, but at the same time, once you kind of eliminated that those hulking defensemen or those guys who didn't have a ton of actual hockey skill, uh, they got eliminated very quickly, especially the fighting aspect. So once that kind of got eliminated and you got to focus more on skill, you just saw the NHL take off like the season after the lockout. Um, I think still has the second best record of all time for goals per game oh, Wow um, just because of just how ridiculous it was just like whereas I think uh, I think it's second to like one of the years in like the late 80s kind of thing when obviously everybody was scoring and Wayne Gretzky's putting up over 200 points and 92 goals in the season
2: that the Wayne Gretzky points record uh, I mean, I'll Ovi. say it no. It'll, nev- it'll never be broken. That's yeah. It'll
3: never be broken.
2: It's just, and he is still so far off. Ovechkin has some crazy, gaudy numbers.
3: Well, Alexander Ovechkin could hypothetically still break that record. Just the problem is, is that he has to have like, I think, like at least six more seasons of 30 goals or more. Yeah. And if there's one player that could do it, it's him. But it's just, I mean, he's already mid thirties. yeah, You know what yeah. I mean? And not to say that NHL players, like they're more conditioned and, and better recovering than they've ever been. Um And especially with the way the game is played, injuries are just less now as far as like just taking like brutal contact, especially because he's the one who's actually more laying the wood than others. <laughs> yeah. um, but at the same time, like he is actually like, that is one record that the all time goals record, I feel like actually could be broken by Oveshkin. You're going to see a lot of things happen maybe over the next few seasons of whether or not Washington can kind of continue this pace of being strong, uh, in the Eastern conference. I, I mean, I suppose they're not really doing conferences this year, but you get my drift kind of being strong in in that conference, um, and him still playing a top line role and him still having a sniper type laser from, from the, from the, the circle, you know what I mean? Uh, the, the face off circle. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it could happen, but again, with, uh, that's the one thing about all-time records. I thought the Bulls' 72-10 and 10 record would never be touched, and the Warriors did it uh, less than 20 years later. Or, yeah, it would be 20 years later in 19, 1998, 18 years later in, in 2016. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess there are other records, like maybe like Joe DiMaggio, hit streak, you know, kind of thing, like 55 Cal Ripken, games.
2: games. Yeah,
3: or, well, no, the Cal Ripken one is never happening no. like because <laughs> – there's too much load management and things yeah. in, in general for professional sports. So, uh, yeah, you'll never see the Cal Ripken record ever broken.
2: Is Ricky Henderson's stolen base record still intact? Oh, yeah. No, and, been, yeah. And, again,
3: same thing. Nobody's ever going to touch that because he played. Every well, day. and it's, also, it's, it's twofold. Like, the catchers are way better now uh, than they were back then. But yeah. also, guys like him don't have the green light because – the risk of them getting to second, like there's a lot more analytics in baseball right. and the chances of you getting picked off at second compared to have having a base runner at first, you're more likely to score runs if you just stayed at first than you were, if you were to take second. Now, when you have, but that, that's the thing though, is that you're seeing teams um, that could be successful that are kind of bucking that trend, maybe playing a little bit more small ball sometimes in the playoffs and they can have success with it. But those are outliers or outliers, I guess would be the word. Um, whereas more often than not, um, you're just not going to see guys try to get on base and then try to steal first as much as they used to. yeah just steal second, rather. I don't know why I said steal first.
2: Well, I mean, got to steal, steal first, uh, gotta steal first walk, before you steal second. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's another thing, man. I The 80s and 90s baseball, too. I mean, we can talk about the juice and the roids and stuff or the supplements, I think it was obviously on the parts of the MLBPA and the MLB just kind of being this weird wild west. You know, there wasn't a lot of rules or anything in place back then. Um, there were no guidelines, honestly. So, but uh, man, I love the sports we have now. I kind of love the dynamic of where we are with our leagues, but it's hard not to just look at all those hall of famers and that golden age of all those sports and just. Oh, well, one of the things I like my,
3: my coworkers, Scott Hastings and I do, like we do that all the time. Like we'll, we'll look up like randomly, like Greg Maddox, you know, uh, pitch counts and, and starts and just be like, man, I cannot believe this guy won three straight Cy Youngs. And then not only that, he won the Cy Young with the Cubs. And then they just let him walk to the Braves or just, you know, or whatever or trade. I can't really write up to look, but either way they let him walk. And they didn't. They didn't have to do that. Or even looking at like Tony Gwynn yeah. strikeout rates, kind uh-huh. of stuff like that. Like in the '90s, and it's just ridiculous. Like some of the stats that you look up, you're just like, I cannot believe. Especially with the the, the Major League Baseball and how it's played of now, of strikeout rates just through the roof. That a guy like him would just break in today's Major League Baseball, even though uh, he's a little heavy set. I don't know. If he, <laughs> like, like, I mean, he was very fast for his size. Uh, but I also just worry that uh, that uh, he probably would have had to uh, lose a little bit of weight. Otherwise he would be bordering on like Pablo Sandoval territory.
2: <laughs> just huffing and puffing and sweating down first baseline. Well, I mean, he was
3: still steady. Like as a thing, like he could run, he could still field. Yeah. he was still a really good athlete for his size, but guys like Cecil Fielder and stuff like that. I just don't know how successful they could be in today's major league baseball,
2: you know, throwing out those, small body kind of wide load kind of guys uh kirby puckett uh, yeah another one R- yeah. R- r.i.p to him but i mean i've i don't think i've ever seen a five foot seven guy jump over the outfield wall so much you know with, no, with his oh no. and I mean, especially
3: that wall in in well, minnesota formerly, it's not target field now it used to, but but that wall uh-huh. in the old field like back in the 90s was just ridiculous it was like it, it, it like it, it didn't have uh it wasn't like you know, green monster type of thing, like the Red Sox, but just like the height on it and just the fact that it had huge right field wall, random left field wall that was like not as high, but it just didn't make sense from a, a, uh, uh, a field dynamics standpoint. Like I didn't understand like why they built it that way. And yeah, and you can go back now and watch Kirby Puckett highlights, just seeing him like kind of make these big grabs, timely hits. Like it's not a fluke that they won the world series back in 1990.
2: Yeah, and uh, that's the thing. A lot of people forget that they won that World Series. Uh, in the 90- I and I think they went to back-to-back World Series. They won one, and well, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Did, no, they, I think they just won the one. They won they the one. Won. Okay, okay. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, just it's, it's just like that little stuff that you know, even the more hardcore fans just kind of ma- not forget about, but kind of, you know. Well,
3: baseball is more based on history too. So anybody that you're going to be talking about who's a baseball fan more than likely is very well aware of the 80s, 90s and 2000s just because I mean, one of the things that I would recommend too if you can get access to it, go watch Ken Burns documentary on baseball. It oh, is amazing yes. for the 80s yeah. and 90s yeah. because especially the 90s like where I was just like kid in a candy store just watching it and seeing like these old highlights and, you know, Burns' narration and everything is just so pinpoint uh yeah check those out um if you're looking for a little bit of nostalgia trip down memory lane
2: i wrote it down i need to watch it again but i wrote it down so i'm gonna find that i love ken burns ken burns is a man now i'm in a baseball mood gee I.
3: (laughs) (laughs) well we got baseball coming up Uh, i mean spring training is up you know uh uh in these parts, uh, everybody's talking about Blue Jays World Series. I don't think that's gonna happen. Uh I'm a little I'm also a little bit more of a pragmatic fan than I than others. Like I, I'll bet against the Dallas Cowboys every game if it means that I'll make money, like kind of thing. I have no loyalty when it comes to sports betting. Um right now the Jays, I believe, are 18 to 1 to win the World Series. They're probably the third, I think they're third right now in the American League behind the Yankees and the White Sox to win the World Series. Um which kind of ridiculous in my opinion. Like I love George Springer. I love that the fact they got him, but the reality is that behind uh, behind Ryu, they don't really have a ton of great starting pitching in my opinion, to be able to neutralize like a team like the Yankees or, uh, or the white Sox in a seven game series. Um, So we'll see again, they could surprise they might be able to trade some prospects and get another stud starting pitcher or, you know, or make some moves, uh, but we'll see. You know what I mean? I just think that, uh, Right now, the reason why they're at 18 to one, I don't want to say they're a public team, but they are in Canada for sure. Um, And also just they're one of the few teams outside of the Padres that made the biggest offseason moves. Like, I mean, I know that obviously the Dodgers signing Trevor Bauer is just ridiculous. Like they were already plus 300 to win the World Series. And then they signed Bauer, who is the reigning Cy Young winner in the National League, and he's probably their third best starting pitcher, like behind Kershaw and Walker Bueller. And you could argue on some days that David Price, because he's a lefty and they don't have a le- could be better than Bauer against certain lineups. So it's just a wealth of riches. The Dodgers just print money at this rate. Um, they're probably going to, they're going to at least win the national league West. I I mean, the Padres could challenge them, but I just think the Padres from an offensive standpoint, just can't hold a candle to what the Dodgers can do. Um, But uh, right now I think it's going to be the Dodgers uh, probably in the world series facing uh, the white Sox. If I was to make a prediction, like a super early don't, quote me on it in six months type of prediction. Uh, but right now that's kind of the teams that I've kind of identified as teams that I think are going to do well. Uh, I, I think the Yankees, like they're, they're so good, like offensively, like they could field two offensive lineups if they wanted to. Um, but just uh, it was behind Garrett Cole, like obviously they got Corey Kluber. Uh, they're starting pitching just isn't, it just doesn't get, blow my skirt up. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, like I love Garrett Cole. Don't get me wrong. I right. think Garrett Cole probably, you could argue should have won Cy Young last year. It's just, it was a shortened season. They only had like 10 starts. Like you basically had to be perfect. Like Shane Bieber was um, to, to even win the award. Um, but, you know, th- I think that's the one thing that from a Yankee standpoint, like I, I I would understand why anybody would want to bet on the Yankees. Like, why wouldn't you? They're going to probably win the AL East. They're going to probably have at least the two seed in the playoffs in the American league. And, you know, the, and the fact that just you know their offenses can just basically put up eight runs on anybody, like at any point, like so. Uh, Baseball-wise, I think that's kind of what I'm looking at right now is is uh, Dodgers White Sox. If I'm looking at it from a betting perspective, um, as far as betting on a game to game, I don't bet on Major League Baseball for the first week because baseball is such a stats-driven sport. Mm-hmm. I need to see numbers. I need to see tons of things before I can comfortably bet it I will say that me and my buddies like maybe we'll bet like you know opening day or whatever maybe bet a first right. five or something yeah, like yeah. that or maybe a strikeout prop or something like that just to kind of just to have some action but we're not putting real money on it like 10 right. bucks
2: 20 bucks kind
3: of thing just, just, just
2: to kind of yeah just just to kind of
3: test it out and be like okay if I lose no big deal if I win then I'm going out for supper tonight right right
2: yeah we're eating we're eating chick-fil-a tonight y'all yeah instead of just uh instead of chicken nuggets right yeah is chick-fil-a in canada
3: no maybe it is maybe some major markets like maybe toronto but just as far as widespread as chick-fil-a is in the states now they haven't really branched out yet okay
2: yeah i was gonna say that was a very american thing of me to say (laughs) just assume that y'all had chick-fil-a in in uh canada but uh Yes. Very stoked for baseball on my end. I am, uh, I'm working for hoop ball right now. You know, we've got the baseball article going, doing all the breakdowns, the over, uh, unders for the win totals and talking about some prospects. And, uh, one of the prospects I was really excited about last year. And the reason I watched a ton of blue Jays games was, was Nathan Peterson. Mm. Um, I, I mean, I still have my notebook, you know, my baseball notebook from last year, of just pages of me, you know, watching hit the games that he started and just literally just kind of baseball diarying, you know, uh, Nathan Peterson threw a sinker yeah. at this batter and he made weak content, just little stuff like that, you know, how he got out of jams and how his pitch sequence changing and his communication with the catcher and just stuff like that. Really exciting pitcher. I liked him in college, he was really exciting. Uh, in the college uh, NCAA tournament there for baseball. And, um, yeah, uh, the Blue Jays, man, you guys, like I said, pretty pretty public uh, team as far as you're – like you said, as far as you're concerned. But, I mean, you guys got some really nice pieces. Y'all did some exciting stuff. I'm a Cubs fan, so we're just – I don't know. It's, it's just, coast, just coast on 2016. And let it yeah, go. yeah. <laughs> it happened. You know, it's like – yeah i i I gotta just live with that one that that's that's Mm -hmm. how it goes so well gee man i think i'm gonna go ahead and start getting us wrapped up here towards the end of the show um we covered a lot of ground and talked about a lot of fun stuff and i really appreciate it we were able to get some really good insight for the listeners as far as your process you know the wizard of oz kind of pull the curtain back and um just just shooting the breeze itself getting windy here on the podcast you know that that was something I was looking forward to I know you're a historian of the games and uh you know the nostalgic road travel was always fun but uh you know I also just want to remind listeners again you know at the top show we talked about it but where to find you you know at oddshark.com uh, obviously um and then at gdogdawg. d-a-w-g five thousand all caps is where you will find him at twitter on twitter not sure how that works vocabulary uh wise grammar wise but uh yeah, any other, any other things from you? Any other parting words you want to throw out there to the hoop ball listeners before we get? Yeah, on? Yeah.
3: I just wanted to tell anybody who wants to follow me or follow my stuff, like again, like you just said, it, it's Gdog 5000 on Twitter. Uh, so G-D-A-W-G 5000. Um, or you can go to oddshark.com. And you go to the NFL and NBA sections. You can find all of my work there. Or if you just want to be able to see kind of what I'm writing, because it's not always about N- NBA and NFL. Like a couple of weeks ago, or even just this past week, rather, uh, I did a preview on the Golden Globes. Uh, you know, th- these types of things that I kind of try to handicap and, and project odds for. So in my Twitter bio, I have the link directly to my author page at Odd Shark, and that has every single piece of content that I've ever written there. So you can read that, kind of get my get a kind of a, a grasp of my style and and, and I look at kind of what I'm looking at and, and, you know, you can judge, you can, you know, you can comment, you can call me out. I, don't, I don't really care. You can say whatever you want. It's uh, it's uh, it's the old phrase. It's a free country as they say. And, uh, so yeah, that's pretty much what you could find from me. Now the one thing that's going to be happening now is I am betting on a lot of NBA underdogs lately. Uh, one of the things I've been promoting a lot lately is the NBA underdog report at OddShark. You can check that out. It's, uh, it's on my profile or you can go to OddShark's Twitter. Uh, you can see them promoting it as well. And then of course, uh, March Madness coming up uh, here in a couple of weeks. I'm likely going to take a little break on NBA betting uh, for the rest of the month after, like once we get to the all-star break, so I can focus more of my capital on uh, March madness games. And uh, once uh, March madness wraps up, then we're going back into regular season mode and wrapping up those and heading right into playoffs. And then before you know it, the summer will be here and we'll kind of be almost the summer will probably be almost over by the time some of these seasons wrap up. And then we're right back in the NFL. So um I'll sleep kind of when I'm dead at this stage. Uh, I got two little ones who kind of keep me up so they make sure that I don't sleep in. Um, So it helps me, I guess, from a handicapping perspective that I can get up and start kind of looking at stats. But uh, yeah, check it out. Uh, Feel free to DM me if you have questions or if you want to uh, comment on posts. Uh, Obviously try to be nice about it if you can. Uh, uh, But uh, at the same time, yeah, if you ever want to shoot the breeze, uh, or have me on a pod or whatever else, yeah, just reach out. I, I'd love to
2: chat with you. Well, there you have it, y'all. I mean, that that was my experience. Uh, I was a little reluctant, a little timid to s- send a message at first, but, you know, here we are. Here we are, and I appreciate it. Um, man, we unpacked a good amount. Uh, listeners, don't forget about the five-star reviews for us. <clears throat> Excuse me. We are still doing the uh, the giveaway, the cash giveaway. You know, you you take a screenshot of that five star review, leave a couple words down, constructive criticism uh, preferred, and uh, screenshot it to you know me or the rest of the hoop ball guys, and we'll get you entered in on that drawing to get you a cash prize. So get that going. Leave us some five star reviews help us get in there in that algorithm and the search bar and all that good stuff. So we're going to continue to have these awesome guests on the show. We're going to continue making you money and we're going to continue having some really great insight and deep digs and analysis. So Mr. Galant, I said, I would say it a few times. So here it is again. I, thanks man. Like (laughs) I appreciate it. Oh, Devin, I
3: appreciate it, man. And obviously uh, we had a good chat today and, uh, you know, um, make sure you guys follow um, his pod, and make sure to follow him. And uh, you know, he's clearly uh, you know a student of the game. If he's able to kind of shoot the shoot the breeze with me about some stuff in the '90s and 2000s, and uh, yeah, I'm, right now this has been great. So I really appreciate you having me on.
2: Awesome. Well, I'm going to reach out to you during baseball season after that first week or two. I think it'd be fun to have you on to talk some numbers that you're looking at once baseball gets nice and analytical and uh rolling and of course football season uh you, you might just have to come on every couple months or something we'll just <laughs> we'll, we'll have a running tab or something so but man i'm gonna wrap a bow on this one and uh again i'm just gonna exit with a thank you to you and a thank you to the listeners and uh, as always i'm sending you all of my good vibes and all of my good energies and we are looking at a great day today and uh, let's spread some positivity. Let's be nice. Let's be healthy. Let's be safe. And I look forward to the next one. guys. thanks again, man. Uh, huge, huge honor. Uh, there, there it is. There's the fourth and the fifth one. I told you they were coming in. The oh,
3: man, you rolled out the red carpet for me, Devin. So, no, I appreciate everything on this.
2: Awesome. Well, but I'll let you get on with your day and I know you're busy. Uh, good luck with your uh, picks and your plays today and the analysis and uh, just with life in general, but I wish the best for you.
3: No, same right back at you. Devin.
2: Awesome. Well, take care, man. You'll hear from me soon and uh, hopefully we get you back on here in the next couple months.